Good morning, everybody. It is good to be here with you all. Um, before I launch into kind of what I was planning on talking about, I was reminded this morning of a psalm that it seems like, man, it could really give us a lot of good encouragement today. And I believe, if my memory serves me right, I'm shooting from the hip and Google's not helping me here. So, uh, from Psalm 42, it's a, a psalm, uh, I guess, from the sons of Korah is what it says, but I always thought David wrote it. Hey, here we go. Anyway, it says this, uh, the psalmist writes, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And... Uh, I could go on, but it just the main thrust of that whole psalm is that there are things we go through. There's things that we in this room are going through, uh, which may not always be pleasant. And there's things that people in our world are going through that are not pleasant. There's, there's countries starting to start up wars again. There's been a lot of internal conflicts for years, but now we're seeing more on an international scale, countries start to take up arms against each other. And so I just want to encourage you, kind of as a segue into what we're talking about today, that God is for you. He's not against you. Um, he, is, uh, he is your rock. He is your refuge. That's what the Bible calls him. Uh, for us who are his people, and we can hope in him. Uh, even when we're like King David, and uh, I don't know if you've ever known this before, I'll preach on it someday, but uh, that, that term cast down is actually a shepherding term, where when a sheep flips over, they, for however God created them, they can't get back over on their own. And so the idea of being cast down is that David, or whoever wrote this, is like a sheep that's been flipped on its back and can't get back up again. And if left in that position, it would die. Uh, that's how, that's what I hear anyway. I've heard it somewhere. But, uh, but how great of a picture that is, that even in, in the darkest night of our soul, we can say, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God, and we can declare that to ourselves. And so 
wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you, uh, whether you're in kind of a good season or maybe a lower season, um, God is here with us and he's here for you. Amen? All right. Now for what I actually came to talk to you about is uh, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And I believe we have some slides. Richard, if you want to put the first one up, that'd be great. Hold, please. Here we go. Maybe. Nope. Man, there we are. Here we go. So the title for today's uh, message is Stewarding Devotion. Stewarding Devotion. Our main passage today, really the only passage, is Matthew 6, 19 through 34. We're going to take on a bigger chunk today. And that's because the big idea that we're going to be discussing is that we will know the depth of God's goodness when we seek him first. We will know the depth of God's goodness when we seek him first. Uh, before we read from the text today, I want to share a little story about my life in high school. I was a freshman, uh, and it was in the fall of my freshman year. My whole life was in upheaval because, you know, new school and everything. And uh, somehow, a couple of months prior to this point, it was October, but couple of months prior to this point, the tickets at Ticketmaster went on sale at G.I. Joe's for Paul McCartney back in the U.S. tour. And uh, so, what, I would have been 12 or 13 at the time, because I was a younger freshman. And I, something you may or may not have guessed about me, I love music. I especially love the Beatles. Uh, and if, if you have something against them, forgive me, but I just, I love their music. It's how I learned to play guitar. Um, and I, uh, I love them all, but Paul McCartney holds a special place in my heart as well. And so, uh, you know, we got news on the radio saying, Ticketmaster, this day, go down and get it. And usually we were the folks who would be in line and we were told, hey, you know, they sold out. Somehow they always sold out. But it didn't happen that time. But I was, I was standing in line and I was just sweating bullets thinking, man, I so want to see Paul McCartney before he dies. And again, oh, and don't, don't you dare go there. Don't, don't you dare go there. Anyway, so here we go. So I, I really wanted to go see him live in concert. And it just so happened that we got the tickets. We, we used, you know, whatever money we had, we, we made sure we were able to get the tickets. And then I was kind of on pins and needles for the next couple of weeks to a couple of months waiting. Even that day, my parents were just shaking their heads at me like I shake my heads at my children. And I was just nervous and anxious the whole time because I'm like, I know, he's, he's gonna die. Like, <laughs> Somehow, he's going to pass away at, you know, 60 or whatever age he was at the time. And it's like, I'm not going to get to see Paul McCartney live in concert. And um, I think like the week before when I was at a football game, like uh, everybody was like, oh, hey, what are you doing next weekend? We were sharing stories. And I was not 
as overjoyed as you would think I was because I was like, I just want to get there. I want to be able to see Paul McCartney. So even that day, same feeling. And as the story goes, I actually got to see Paul McCartney. As you know, he didn't die, folks. Uh, he's still alive and kicking. I think he's in his 80s now. It's pretty wild to think about um, because I was so nervous and so anxious because I just really wanted to see that concert. And it was great. It was fantastic. They made a DVD out of it. You could watch it sometime, but it was so good. I, I say all of that because there's things in our lives, kind of like we talked about in the psalm, that make us anxious, that kind of creep in and steal our joy of the things that we should be happy about, or maybe it should be a season where we should be excited, but there's something that kind of creeps in called anxiety and worry. And in our world today, oddly enough, the word anxiety, I have heard it more in the last couple of years and before than I think I have in my entire life. Even us in this room, we all, you know, from the youngest to the oldest, we all deal with anxiety on some level. And so, Jesus had something to say about it. Um, we've been going through a series in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been, we're doing a couple of different series, but we're in one called Kingdom Manifesto. We're looking at just the Sermon on the Mount, trying to figure out what did Jesus have to say about the kingdom of God and what that means for our lives. And we've, we've been spending a long time in there. If you want to catch up on what we've already covered, that you can take a look at it on our website or our podcast. But we, we've reached kind of the turning point. Last week we talked about prayer, uh, and that was really good. And we're at this turning point now where Jesus is going to be starting to talk about other things of kind of really how it looks for us to live that out. And what a place to start other than just, you know, taking the biggest uh, boulder or wall in our way and trying to address that. The elephant in the room, our anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. I'll be reading from the ESV today. We have it up here on the screen in that. Whatever translation uh, you choose to use is fine. Um, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And we will know the depth of God's goodness when we seek him first. You can go to the, first, uh, the next slide there. The first observation I have of everything Jesus has said in that portion is that there is the depth and devotion and what we do with them. Depth, as I'm using it in this context, is it's the depth of who we are on the inside. Uh, you might have heard the term right in the feels, right where you're feeling the, the core of your being. Um, that's a really deep place. Um, and who we are on the inside, the core of our being, there, uh, you know, it can either be uh, full of light or it can be full of darkness. And in our sin, we are born with what theologians call depravity. Uh, we're all born with it. It's that inner bent that we have towards sin, that we cannot help but sin um, because of Adam and Eve. And that wonderful thing that they did in the garden. I'm being facetious. But anyway, uh, so there is a depth of who we are. And by God's grace, through faith, we can have that depth of who we are. We can have that transformed. Like we were singing before uh, uh, on From the Inside Out, uh, that's really how it works, that God uh, fills us with the Holy Spirit and we are then transformed from the inside out uh, by his grace and his kindness towards us. And so there is a depth that's described in this passage because also, even though that's the core of our being, 
isn't it funny that kind of the different categories that Jesus highlighted, those are the things that we get tripped up about. We trip over these things. We, we focus on all of these things that really challenge the depth of who we are. And we'll cover that in a second. Also, devotion. At the heart of everything Jesus has been covering in this section, even though he's talking about money, he's talking about clothing and, and food and all of that, um, at the heart of it all, it really challenges our expectation of God. And so there's depth and devotion and what we do with them. Really, it's, you know, that's the idea of stewardship. That we steward our hearts. There's that uh, great proverb. I'm forgetting the address now, but it says, you know, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Um, or some translations, I think, say, you know, uh, all of your life flows from within you. And so that depth, what do we do with that? How do we respond to those things that we face each and every day that challenge our devotion? You can go to the next slide. Then there's also, uh, you know, what keeps us from experiencing God's goodness, those anxieties, those things. So whether it's worrying about finance or food or clothes, really those, those surface level things that we interact with each and every day, those, those challenge us and they have the power, if we let them, to shake us to our core, that depth of who we are. Um, I'll never forget, there was one moment, Angie and I haven't done it this year, uh, but uh, when we were doing taxes over at my parents' house. And I was just a, a barista at the time. Angie was uh, doing her grown-up job uh, <laughs> uh, out in Beaverton, uh, doing what she did. I can't remember exactly. That's okay. It doesn't matter. But we had our jobs. We were doing our taxes, married filing jointly. And um, it got to that moment when you're doing the electronic thing where you click a button and then suddenly all your money disappears that you think you're getting back from the government, and then it's like, hold on, wait, what? I owe the government? <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget, that was a moment I really freaked out. I mean, I was saying things I shouldn't say uh, in a church, and I was just, I was freaked out because I thought, I've paid my dues, I've paid my taxes, this shouldn't be happening. Well, it turned out one of my employers wasn't uh, paying into uh, federal, and so that was why, but uh, and I've since learned how to fill out my I-9 so that that doesn't happen. But in that moment, whew, that just flooded my senses, and I was anxious beyond all get out. <laughs> and so I say all of that because when we take our eyes off of God and we fix them on whatever conditions are in front of us, that's the place where we let anxiety and worry rule at the depth of our core, of who we are. And the strange thing, uh, it's really a Bible thing, is that worry leads us to forget or disbelieve God's goodness. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, you know, we can talk about 
pride, we can talk about lust, and we can talk about these different things, but really, at the end of the day, when you, when you look at uh, the original sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, really, it was an unbelief of God. And it was not just doubting, it was just saying it, they were tricked into believing the lie that God didn't have their best in mind, that God didn't have their good in mind. And so when the serpent said, you know, did God really say you would die? Ah, you won't die. And all of these things, it really caused them to doubt God's goodness. Like, oh, maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe God's, you know, withholding this whole knowledge of good and evil from me. And so, well, I guess I do want that. And so I'm going to pursue that thing. And so that, that worry of, oh, maybe God's not taking full care of me. Maybe God's not doing all of that. Maybe he's not a good father. Maybe it's not that good. Maybe he's holding out. That's what led to sin. And that's what leads us from the place of all, you know, responding to all the different anxieties and worries that we come up against. And it leads us to a place of disbelieving God. And that's a challenging place. Now, what I'm not saying is that we should just ignore the fact that we have anxiety or that we have worry. Because there are some real things that we come in contact with. And God is not asking us to ignore all those things and be foolish. But what he is saying is to focus our attention somewhere else. So you can go to the next slide. Jesus offers us a solution. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? Food? Clothing? Uh, you know, the, the finances? Um, as a summary, God's going to take care of us. He's going to provide us with all that we need when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We will know the depth of God's goodness when we seek him first. And so what does that look like? Before we go there, go to the next slide. Angie and I were talking uh, over this and she said, you know what this is kind of like? It's kind of like the core of an apple. Um, because that core of an apple, that's where the seeds are, right? And that's where the fruit grows outward from. And the apple core, that's actually the place where the seeds are stored in order for us to produce more apples, right? Now, how does this apply to stewardship and devotion and the depth of who we are? Well, we diagnose the stewardship of devotion as we read in verses 22 through 23, where Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
And that begs the question, what are we looking at? Are we looking at just our circumstances or are we looking at the one who is above our circumstances? Are we focused on the wrong things? What catches your eye and claims your attention? There's There's a way of looking at our story, uh, our faith, where there are the details about the gospel that do not change. That, you know, that, you know, Jesus came and took on uh, the sin of the world, died in our place, lived a perfect life, died in our place, and was uh, rose again from the dead, and he's coming again uh, to establish his rule and reign fully on earth at the end of all things by the way if you want a a preview of that come to the revelation bible study on thursday nights i don't think we covered that in the announcements but that's okay so uh but you know that's those are unchanging details that's the story of jesus but then there's also the story of how god meets us where we're at that my friend Stefan calls our gospel. And really, all, it's, it's a funny way of saying it. I think he, he gets that idea from how Paul talks about his gospel. But really, all it is, it, it's not meant to be this mysterious thing. All it is is, how does the story of Jesus change your life? How does God reveal his goodness to you? And then how does that transform you and your life? Now, for me, uh, as I was in a season of discipleship with my friend Stefan, um, we were in this meeting with a group of other leaders at the time, and um, I don't know how we got on, on the idea of it, but I discovered what my gospel was. And it's really simple, it's really easy, um, because I also found out that somebody somewhere had developed a a brand and a logo about it. Uh, And it's really easy that God is above my highs and my lows. That God is faithful through it all. That even in the places when I fail, that he is still good and that I can run to him and I can be forgiven and I can still find that refuge in him. And so... I bring all of that up because as an application of all of this, what do we fix our eyes on? I would encourage you, as I found in my own life, that God is a constant. He is the constant in our lives. And he is someone that we can count on. And he's never going to let us down. And so, if Jesus is saying, don't worry. Um, and he's saying, you know, don't store up all these things. Don't, don't do all of this. But then he offers us a solution. How do we then do it? You know, other than just the simple act of fixing our eyes on Jesus, you know, and fixing our eyes on the kingdom of God, what does it actually look like? So I would like to offer up three Um, how-tos of stewarding our devotion. 
Uh, the first is to seek God first. So throughout our series, um, even though it's been called the Kingdom Manifesto, and we've been talking about the kingdom of God, you may have noticed I haven't defined anything yet. I haven't actually defined what the kingdom of God is. I kind of alluded to it last week, but I, I always, whenever I'm talking about the kingdom of God, I always save it for this verse, because uh, at one point when I was in Bible college, someone spelled it out for me, and I, and I thought, where has this been all my life? <laughs> this is so amazing. So, the kingdom of God, if you were to break up that word into two separate ideas, uh, the first is that there's a king and he has a domain where his will and way is perfectly done. We touched on that last week as well. And so in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, really the first part of seeking the kingdom is to seek the king himself and to pursue him with all that we've got. So how do we do this? How do we seek God first? There are a couple of ways. One is through prayer. We talked about that last week. Uh, there's through reading the Bible. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, and my parents said, go read the Bible. I would always start in Genesis, and I would start on a Saturday morning, um, and I would always get to, uh, to Joseph, and then I would give up. <laughs> I'd say, this is too much. And I'd, you know, I'd put it away and, and never really read through it. It wasn't until I saw a Gideon uh, presentation that I actually read all of the Gospels. Uh, in one in one fell swoop. And so uh, I say all of that because it doesn't really matter where you start. Um, I don't recommend Nahum because uh, that is a rough book. That's, I mean, whew, that's rough. Uh, but it doesn't matter where you start, just start. If you want a really easy way, if you're like me and you need things to be really simple sometimes, uh, just pick the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's really convenient, except the month of February, because you could go to, oh, what day is today? The 14th. Okay, I'm going to read Proverbs 14. And it's really convenient, because on most months, there's 31 days, or 30 days, and there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, you could read the Gospel of John, and read it like it's a letter especially written to you. And the reason we read the Bible isn't because there is anything magical about a book with, with words on it printed on a page. The reason we read the Bible is because it's God's word to you and to me. It's for us. It's God's word preserved for us so that we can get to know him. And so if you want to seek God first, we can do it through prayer and we do it through reading what he's already said. Also, through worship, spending time in his presence. It doesn't have to happen on a Sunday morning, although it's great. Uh, the Bible says where two or more are gathered, uh, God is there in our midst. And so there is something special about the gathering for worship, but you can worship 
anywhere. If that's you going down on the beach and having a walk where it's just you and God, and you get to listen to the roar of the waves uh, coming in, and you just get to spend that time just enjoying God's nature, that's worship. That doesn't replace the gathering, but it is worship. And that is one way of seeking God first, is just being alone with God, like we talked about last week. There may be other ways, uh, through journaling or artwork or pretty much as unique as you are, there's a way that God meets you, exactly where you're at. And God just wants you to seek him and to seek him first and to put him as that priority in your life. The second way to steward devotion, next slide, is to seek God's kingdom. So there's the two part, right? There's the king and there's actually seeking his kingdom as well. And really all that is is an invitation to partner with whatever God is doing in your life, in your community, in your world, that you partner with what God is doing in the here and now where we, where we get to actually put feet to that idea of what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's pursuing God's kingdom. It's bringing heaven here so we can have a taste of heaven here until Jesus comes to fully establish his rule and reign once and for all at the very end. And so seeking God's kingdom, what does that look like? The first thing, number one, is the church. Because when you said yes to Jesus and you said, yes, I receive that gift of grace, that kindness that God has shown me through Jesus, I accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. The kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit is birthed inside of you. That's one of the wonderful things about Advent. We had no time to talk about it this last year, but uh, because I wanted to save it for this moment, the kingdom of God is birthed in you through the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit resides in you, you carry the kingdom everywhere you go. Now, you may be a flawed vessel, and God is transforming you from glory to glory, and that's okay, but you carry God with you everywhere that you go. And so, in seeking God's kingdom, when we gather together, we, we are like little Well, we're carriers of the kingdom, and we are like an expression of the kingdom of God here in this room. The thing I love about when I look out at you all, and I think about everybody who might ever watch this online, who might cross our Facebook page or YouTube or whatever, is that we all come from different Christian backgrounds. In this room alone, I know of at least eight different expressions of the Christian faith that we have come from as, as I've talked with you, as I've gotten to know you more. And the beautiful thing to me is that even though we may disagree on some finer points of theology and 
all of those things. However, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Amen? The beautiful thing is that the kingdom of God is a diverse kingdom that is made up of lots of different people from different backgrounds, from different stories, people who have experienced the gospel in different ways than you have and than I have. And that is a beautiful thing. And so number one, seeking God's kingdom is being about the local church, whether that's this local church or the one down the road. I don't care. Be about the local church because that's where God is moving his kingdom through. Now, another way to do that is by carrying, like I said, carrying the kingdom everywhere you go through how you interact in the community by actually trying to bring heaven into that situation, bringing that transformation that you've received into that situation that you find yourself in. And so, man, uh, on your street, wherever you live, or maybe you live in an apartment complex or, or something, there's somebody, whether they've said yes to Jesus before or not, there's somebody who needs encouragement. There's somebody who needs to be reminded of who God is. And so you get to bring that taste of the kingdom everywhere you go. So that then everyone who interacts with you, like you have, they would get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that they would get to experience that goodness. Because just like you may be racked with anxiety today over whatever you're going through, there's somebody else who is also doing that. And God wants all of us to experience his goodness and be reminded of who he is that he is a good father who cares for you and loves you right where you're at, and he wants you to know him, to really, truly know him and experience him for who he is and all that he's done through Jesus. And so we seek God first. We seek God's kingdom. And then, finally, we seek God's righteousness. This is where, so uh, if you... I was trying to think of some alliteration. So with seeking God first, we pursue God. Uh, when we seek God's kingdom, we get to partner with what God's doing. And then in seeking God's righteousness, we get to participate in God transforming our lives to line up with his will and his way. For us in our tribe, we call that holiness because we... we we read it in the scriptures. We, we read about sanctification and how there comes a point in every believer's life where we realize that we can't do this on our own. Where we are so grateful for all that Jesus did on the cross for us to cover our sins, to pay the debt that we could never do for ourselves, and that we are justified by faith. We are so grateful for that. But like in Romans 7, at the end of the Romans chapter 7, it says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus my Lord. And then 
immediately in Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if that weren't enough, then Paul goes into talking about walking in the Spirit. And when we seek God's righteousness and we're seeking to line ourselves up with God and His will and His way, really that's us seeking to be set apart for Him, to be reflections of, of His culture, of His, uh, of His values, of His who He is. And we get to reflect that to each and every person that we meet. Now, this side of heaven, we may not ever do it perfectly, but we can be perfectly set apart for him. And we can, be, we can say, God, I can't do this on my own. I surrender it all to you. You have the will and way in my life. You rule my life. You be on the throne of my life. And then, instead of letting worry and anxiety be on the throne of our lives we can let god be on the throne and he can take care of the rest that doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult or that we won't face trials of many kinds but the god who who loved you enough to provide you salvation and to provide you sanctification by filling you with the Holy Spirit, that same God is above it all. And so we can fix our eyes on him when we seek him first, when we seek his kingdom, and we seek his righteousness. Then Jesus gives the promise, we can take it to the bank, that He, everything else, all the everything that we could ever worry about and freak out about, that he's going to take care of it. He's going to walk with us through it. It's not, uh, it's not always just a wipe the slate clean kind of thing, but he is faithful to walk with us through that. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you're at, whether you're in a season where things are going pretty good. I know for me right now in this season, in a lot of ways, I'm doing okay. Uh, there's not a lot that, that's plaguing my mind with, or just racking me with anxiety. There may be some things, but I'm doing okay, you know? But I also remember the times when I've been at my lowest and where I've needed to cling to God, where I've been confronted with all these things that I could worry about and the invitation that Jesus gives here is to seek him first, to seek his kingdom, to seek his righteousness. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, that God wants to walk with you, and he wants to be with you through this. All we have to do is lift our eyes to him and to fix our eyes on him. And so, would you stand with us, and uh, let's pray, and then we'll... Uh, respond with a song um, that I think kind of wraps up this idea of seeking God in his kingdom. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we bless your name this morning. We thank you that you are king over all.
in that we can trust you with the mess that we may find ourselves in. You know, you had mentioned all these things about relationship and then in the Sermon on the Mount we get to talking about anxieties and worries and the other things that can come up in our lives. And so God, we just, we pause to fix our eyes on you. To see you for who you are. Above the storm that we might find ourselves in. That we would really catch that glimpse of you. Because God, sometimes it's really hard. This side of glory. And you know that. Thank you, God, that we can, that we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way that we were. God, that we have you to cling to. And that you can be that refuge for us. And that we can have safety and security in you. Even when everything else is falling apart, we know, God, that you are faithful. You're always faithful. And so, God, we want to see you this week. We want to see you today. And so we look to you. We seek you first, above all. We seek your kingdom and we seek your righteousness to be lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name.